New on Curiosity Stream. Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Kim Kardashian. Tycoons are in many ways the lifeblood of society. They are willing to put everything out there. They're willing to lose everything. See how the super elite use their money and power to shape our lives on Tycoons. Plus, from Japan's unbreakable super code to the algorithm mining your Bitcoin, we're breaking down the world's most famous encryptions on cracking the code. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. podcast look at that for the last time this year thank god this year is over 2020 that's it you know a year of starting this podcast and talking every sunday and a bunch of other stuff happened this year too i heard i I remember vaguely a few minor incidences going on but uh first pretty much the same as it was basically the same the same same planet, same world, and that's about the only thing that's the same. But first, yes, I would like to say happy holidays, Merry Christmas, happy Kwanzaa, happy Hanukkah to all the listeners that are listening out there. We really appreciate your support this year. It's been a really fun time. I've, uh, I've loved our time together, TK. I really have. Absolutely. Truly mem- memorable. Now, if you, if you could, there's... There's a lot of you out there that are watching these videos that aren't subscribed. And from what we gather, subscriptions actually help the channel grow. So if you don't mind, please press subscribe. And TK and I have decided to um, run a little tiny contest here. We, we, did, we, we did agree on that, right? Yes. So TK and I would like to extend a 100 dollar Amazon gift certificate to our 100th subscriber. And we're in the 90s. We won't say what we won't say what number we're at, but but hurry up because you're we're in the 90s already. We're getting there. We are it's in the 90s. This thing is yeah. growing like a weed. Yeah, exactly. So please, so. if you subscribe and you are interested in winning the $100 Amazon gift certificate, then yes. please Put in a comment that you have subscribed, and if you are number 100, I will reach out to you, and I will get that to you right away. Beautiful. Beautiful. So hopefully people are listening. It is. So how about uh, them World Junior hockey players? Yeah, I uh, tell me. I I don't know. I'm not following that at all. So they blew out Germany. Uh, 16 to 2 or something like that. That seems like a even level competition. It seems like maybe after like uh you know 5 nothing, 6 nothing, 8 to 2, you know, like any one of those um uh, uh you know scores probably would have been okay to win at. So this was against Germany? This was against Germany. Yeah. Wow, so I mean, I guess the coach Told him to put the pedal to the metal as as the game was getting further out of reach. He didn't say, "Hey, boys, you know, let up. Let's uh, let's be gentlemen here." Yeah, I think they said, uh, "Hey, guys, you know what? 
let's uh, have some positive news in the uh, in the Canadian media, and we'll be able to have uh, you know a warm welcome in when we get home. But that's you know I'm not following it to the T or anything like that too. You know they um, they've had some preliminary games, they've had some preliminary wins. Um, Germany and Canada, where is it? Russia beat them. Russia beat Canada. Yeah. Mm. So now today, no tomorrow, uh, they've got to play again. I, I've been busy watching the Raptors lose. Not fun. But I'm looking at the wrong schedule. People do like their world Raptors? juniors. Yeah, tell, Raptors. Tell What's going on with them? Uh, not much. Not much. Oh, and two. I heard that they're below 500 now for the first time since 2014. They are, which is like, you know, just a, it's a very similar to the stats we read in, uh, in the real estate articles where they've, you know, take one game and all of a sudden it's like the first time they're under 507,000 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I did. That's what, that's, well, that's what you read. And you see, how, you see how gullible the public is? Like, you just read a headline and it's like, hey, this is the truth. And I re- now I understand the entire article without reading. <laughs> That's how it is in the real estate world, isn't it? It is. But you know what? There seems to be a shift in the force, my friend. Okay. Okay. There seems to be some more positive oh. news. Not, not much news. More positivity, it seems. But... Uh, I would like to get to the negative stuff first so we can end the year on a positive note. Okay, negative first. Let's How, go. How's that sound? Yep, let me hear it. Ontario's first two cases of new COVID-19 variant reported in Durham region. Oh, boy. Must this, be all those showings and multiple offers. I'm telling you, this, this Durham place is like really... You know, it's in the news. It's exciting and it's full of COVID. Yeah. COVID. The numbers are the lowest there still, obviously. Um, Sure. You know, a lot of scare, scare tactics in any reporting of the new strain, right? They're getting a lot of clicks on these new strain uh, articles. Just when you thought it was safe to go get vaccinated. Exactly. That's it. That's what it revolves around. What? So a- luckily, luckily, they've been responsibly reporting it, saying that the professionals, the scientists, the doctors, the people who are in the vaccine industries are saying that this should not. They're not expecting it to affect the effectiveness of the vaccine because so. they know. I mean, it's been around so long. They've had all kinds of time to study it and figure this out more, more just, you know, how vaccines work and all that kind of stuff, which I definitely don't know. So let's not go down that road. I want to point something out, though, quickly. Yeah. Point it out. The number of cases in Ontario is growing. No. Hence. How is that possible? Hence why the beard is going to start to come back and return. Because facial hair during the lockdown is considered safe. And if a man is too clean shaving during the lockdown, you got to think. How many people is he going to see on a daily basis? New report suggests beards can carry COVID phase two. Prevent, prevent. Oh, now it's preventative. Another article yeah. says that it prevents COVID. Here we go. Well, you know what I mean? No, that's 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 the truth, right? I got to grow this beard out here, right? I don't want to. I don't want to run into somebody at the gas station and they think that I'm I'm not safe to approach. They might need might need help. It's so. funny you say that because I was thinking that you know technically it is your obligation to grow a second 
COVID lockdown beard. We're all, we're all counting on you. Good. I just Man. wanted to make sure and point it out that I've started. I think it. I think it's like a sponge. It like absorbs the COVID from other people, but protects it from. It's like Velcro. It like keeps it from going into your system. I think it's a more of a psychological effect. It's heartwarming. Ah, the heart yeah. warmth of the beard. It brings hope. Right. So, well, before we we before we lose anybody interested in real estate. Okay, quickly. Size does matter, TK. In, in published listings about properties for sale, says a pivotal new legal ruling. So apparently, when you're buying a house, it's important to know how big it is. And now the ruling... Advertise it at a size that you're not 100% sure of. I have always said to people that I've noticed a pattern that yep. every time a house sells, it seems to grow about 10%. Okay. And so what's happened here is somebody actually caught somebody and was able to win the case in court, which I'm sure people have been caught many times in the past. I don't know if it's ever you know, been won in court. It doesn't seem, at least from the article... No, so the previous rulings were the buyer went in the house, they loved the house, they felt that the house was adequate for them, they paid a price based off of them looking at other houses in the neighborhood and felt like that one was worth the price they paid. So the judges weren't ruling in their favor as far as, well, whether it was 1500 or 2000 you liked the space, it had enough bedrooms, bathrooms, like what's the difference? So now that's the, the big change. But also this one is just a return um, like this guy didn't, um, complete the sale. So it's not like he's asking for damages other than the legal fees. So he just got $10,000 in legal fees, but, um, in BC it's, it's actually required. So in BC on the MLS listing, you have to put exact square footage, which means real estate agents are required to pay $5 to their municipal property assessment corporation, uh, you know, alternative out in BC and they get a report on how many square feet the house actually has, which is what we have the capabilities of doing, which MPAC had the correct uh, square footage in that case. It was 1,450, and they, they still said it was 2,000 square feet. Even the seller apparently talked to the buyer and said 2,000 square feet, and that's the, that's the issue, is that the, the information was there, uh, it was available, and they just chose not to measure, they chose not to look, and um, I've seen that very often. Every every single listing should have a required field that says how much is the square footage, and it should be in the system. In fact, it's so easy that the Toronto Real Estate Board could actually have a link into the Municipal Property Assessment Corporation's database that would automatically populate what MPAC says the square footage is and the assessed value of the property. That is possible. Technology is advanced. That They can do that but there's a cost to it. And the Toronto Real Estate Board, the richest real estate board that I know of, refuses to, to make that something as a priority. Well, and this is one of the problems with monopolies. Like we see this in the telephone companies and the internet companies. And uh, uh, like you're saying, like if there's no one forcing you, if there's no competition doing it better, then you don't need to do anything, right? So, I mean... How many people think they live in a 3,000 square foot house and it's really 2,350? And whoever measured, right? Like who, 
not too many people actually care. It's right. It's whether the space works and whether you like the space. But listen, prices are based on comparables, right? And generally something that is comparable is similar in size, right? Question. So, so After location, size is the next question. Yeah, I think this is great. Uh, hopefully it forces um, people to, to be a little bit more honest or, or I mean, it doesn't cost much to go in with a with a tape measure and check a couple of the measurements out. I mean, if one or two of the rooms that people put in are, are off, then maybe the rest is well, off. That's what the, the previous judge, sorry to interrupt, the last judge based it off of the room measurements were on the listing. So like you knew how big each room was, right? And that's, and that's what the judge is saying is like you, you knew, right? Like you knew what those, those rooms were, you knew what the size was, you knew that the house that you were in was adequate for you and the right size. So you yeah. should have looked in, right? Right. But you also, I mean, I think the big problem is that for some reason, Treb breaks it down into, into sections of, you know, 500 square feet. So, so, so right. right. Like ranges. So would you have even been looking at this house, right, if it was done properly? So, for example, this one in particular was from 2,000 to 2,500 square feet. But in actuality, the house was like 1,400 square feet, right? So, if you're doing a, a, a detailed filtered search and you're looking yep. for things that are 2,000 square feet and higher, this should not have come up, right? Regardless of whether the rooms were measured properly. And the other issue is total living space versus above ground. So real estate agents try to find little loopholes in their listings. I've been guilty of it too in the past where, you know, maybe a house was a three bedroom, but they took down the wall and it's really easy to see that all you got to do is just put up some drywall again. And we might list it as a three bedroom instead of two. That was more along the lines of, you know, bungalows uh, in Scarborough when, when we were selling a lot of those, but not as common today, but either way, um, that's something that I think agents try to get away with. And I see it all the time. Total living space, 5,000 square feet. So then I have to start doing the math. I'm like, okay, it's a two story. So there's three floors. So I'm like, all right, so there's going to be about, you know, 1,250 square feet or whatever it is uh, per floor, or maybe, no, that would be 1,666 square feet per floor, right? 5,000. So then it's like, okay, but then there's a room above the garage. <laughs> <laughs> I think it looks time. like it's like 300 square feet. So I'm like, I think it's 35 and then the basement's only 15. You know, like you yeah. have to like do that kind of math, which you shouldn't have to. No, but part of the math calculation is, you think anybody will know the difference? No, the, 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 it's not the math. It's the, how do I get people to look at this listing? Because look how beautiful it is. Look at the location. Look at the lot. Look at the finishes. Sure. Why don't why, they won't look at me if I have it as 1,100 to 1,500 square feet, which is where it belongs. Right. They won't even see it. Well, I'm sure so, it's not the first shenanigans that realtors have been up to, and it won't be the last. Brutal. So <laughs> here's the two sides of the coin. One is the moral ethic, real estate board, MLS rules, compliance, making sure that, you know, people are being treat, treated fairly as far as consumers goes. And two, it's the other side is how do I get the best outcome possible for my client? For my client or yeah, for so that, me? For the client. So how to, so again, so that's what, that's the, the, um, 
clients are always pushing us to this side and saying, no, 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 it's 2000. No, 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 no. Tell them it's three bedrooms. No, 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 no. Uh, you can get into that school even though we're outside of the TD TDSB district according to the website, right? Like that kind of stuff. They, right? sh they should have made the realtor pay back the deposit. No, he got his deposit back. It was um, he got it back though, but the the, the the homeowner shouldn't have been penalized. The homeowner should have got to keep the deposit. The realtor should have had to pay back the deposit, and everybody would have learned their lesson. The realtor got fined through Real Estate Council of Ontario. I'm not sure what the fine was, but um, the was, homeowner, yeah, the homeowner is the one signing the contract. He's the one who also said 2,000 square feet, and it's actually part of um, the homeowner's responsibility to ensure that all the information that's being given to the public is accurate. The homeowner's responsibility? It's both, but- That seems like crazy. You, I mean, you can't, you're- You can't play, play, um, claim ignorance. Of course you can. You're hiring a professional and paying them a shit ton of money to do the job properly. I think you should have to sit back, put your feet up and let the guy sell the house. It's a lot of fucking money you pay a realtor, right? To, to, to put a lockbox on the house and have some underling sitting there over the weekend, right? I, I agree. If that's all you're doing, then that's you're paying way too much. Well, listen, let's acknowledge that Mr. TK is not your typical realtor, okay? First and foremost, that we all sure. understand you go above and beyond. Safely tucked away. You go above and beyond and you actually care about the people that you're working with. You, sir, are an anomaly in this market. Settle, settle down. Okay, but I agree sorry, with you. Sorry. There's a lot of issues. A lot of issues. <sighs> Hold on a second. Okay. Take a, take a breather. Take a breather. All right. I'm back. I'm good. All right. So, Toronto rents plummet for the 12th month in a row and will keep dropping. 12 months in a row? It started dropping in January? Is this true? Are you frozen? Uh, oh, there you are. Okay, good. I'm, thinking, I'm like, <laughs> I, I honestly don't know the exact number of uh, months, but I would say that 12 months in a row, if it's in the article, that's probably probably true. All right. I don't right? think, I think it's true. Fe February, they might have started to have a slowdown. Fe February, the virus was out there. People knew about it. Things were changing already. And also we had a flood of new condos come on the market too. Like a lot, of, a lot of new completions happen at the beginning of the year. I personally remember um, talking about rental crises, multiple rental crises, housing crises, everything was in crises at the beginning of March. I agree. So unless there's a normal seasonal slowdown in rents in January and February, this article is wrong. <laughs> we're calling but you out. We're calling you guys out. Something, something smells wrong here. Now, regardless, it's definitely like eight months in a row, which for a market that was super hot, overheating, and that you could like barely, like there were multiple offers on tiny little condos to rent, um, this is, this is still a big deal. And most people, including myself would forecast that rents are not going to get better in the near term future. And this is not a positive thing, but, um, for a lot of people, it's not a negative thing. It could be a positive thing for, I guess, renters, right? Yeah. If I put on my so renter hat, would you like a word, sir? TorontoRentals.com 
has the average rent price being almost the same price per square foot from December to January and slightly lower as far as average rent from December 2019 to January 2020. It sort of plateaued uh, until February, but dro dropped significantly between February and March. And by April, it had dropped like now we're talking about a pretty substantial amount, almost 10%. Hmm. Hmm. So now they're saying that we're down 20% and going down further. That's, yes. that's, a, that's pretty crazy. Well, I think that that's what we're seeing. I mean, nobody's renting right now in Toronto. If you don't have a job, if you don't have a school to go to, if you're not starting a new career, if you haven't just got to the country and you're looking, you know, for a new place to, to live and settle down before you buy, these things are all coming back. They are coming back with a vengeance. With a oh man, vengeance. if you're a rental right now and you're still paying 2018, 19 rents, get out of that situation and, and negotiate a new one year lease at the new rent rates because you may not have another opportunity like this. And, and I'm sure there's some landlords out there that will pay for you to move. So it might be worth taking a look at a, I mean, if I was if I was advising anyone, I would say maybe wait a little bit because it's it's going to get cheaper for sure. Although as it's getting cheaper, I don't think it's going to drop as much as it has this year. I think this year is just going to be a, a very flat year as far as the rental market goes. Well, hopefully the people that are left holding their condos can afford to absorb a, a, a few more months like this. But I don't know. I, I think we're we're probably at least half a year away from any kind of like a rebound. But what the hell do yeah. I know? Let's see what happens. Yeah. I don't even know. We, we got, there's well, so many, negative. this is super negative. We're starting negative. The, uh, I mean, there's a lot of factors that could make things. I, there's one factor that like, if the vaccine works, things are very different than if, you know, all of a sudden people are getting reactions and dying. In, in mass amounts, right? Although it doesn't seem at the moment like that's the case, but who There's two things. One is the last lockdown we went into was at the end of winter. So that helped, right? We know that, you know, whether the flu season is comparable or not, we know that in the warmer months, things get better. Um, we know that people were financially more secure going into the last lockdown, right? We knew that the case numbers were a lot lower going into the last lockdown. There's a lot of things that are saying this now these new measures could be here for several months, right? Which is going to hurt the rental market more, which is going to hurt the condo market more, which I can't see it doing anything to the freehold uh, market considering the, the demand, but no. it, it might like it has to, like, how could it not take out at least a little bit of demand and how could it not just convince a few people like, ah, oh, maybe I don't want people in my house right now. So I'm not going to sell and put my house on the market. Right. Well, I went out, the other day, um, I had to go to Staples to buy something for the backyard hockey rink that I'm building for my daughter. And quite honestly, I mean, if you didn't know that there was a pandemic going on, you would not have been able to tell based on the volume of cars on the road and cars in parking lots. The only uh, clue would have been when I got to Staples, they wouldn't let me in. They made me go sit in my car and place an online order that I could come and pick up 15 minutes later, 
which was kind of weird considering that wasn't the regulation at the time. But anyways, I mean, <clears throat> I don't know that people, uh, well, technically it was, I guess, Thornhill because it was on the north side of Steeles, but it looked pretty busy yeah, so on the south side of Steeles too. Yeah, north region's been in, been in, um, the lockdown a little bit further. It's only like Durham and all the rest of the. Yeah, but I'm in Toronto. I mean, I'm used to gray zone, baby. I'm in the gray. Yeah. York's been in the gray now for a couple of weeks. But anyways, regardless, the point is, is that it doesn't seem to be deterring people to go, you know, be going around other people. And I'm pretty sure we on Christmas, since we are Jewish, we have a tradition of driving around looking for the best Christmas lights. Which, if you know which house you think was the best Christmas lights this year, put it in the comments so I can go check it out next year. But we went around and I'm, like we saw many people going in and out of people's houses. And I have no clue if they lived there or not. But there were lots of cars on the streets, you know, that didn't have snow on top of them. And lots of cars in driveways. And like, it looked like people were maybe going to visit their families. Yeah, I'm no sleuth. Okay, but I'm pretty sure people went to their families. Anyways, I love it. CMHC, Wait, yeah, tons of negative. I mean, look, CMHC doesn't have a clue what they're doing, it seems. And okay. I mean, they're not important. They, they don't play a role in the real estate market, but they've gone from thinking prices will fall 18% way back in May to... Yep thinking that they will fall 18% in June. And now, you know, we have stuff from CMHC saying that there is no fraud. There is little evidence Toronto real estate is overheating, CMHC. So they are considering, you know, some areas in the country overheating but toronto is not one of them which is and they based that off of the um sales to new listing ratio sales to new listing ratio as well as current condo units that are unsold unabsorbed per ten thousand people of population have not reached critical levels but they're bringing condos and houses in together, right? It's a, it, yeah, it's an overall market thing. Overall sales of, in Toronto divided by the total. Yeah. Um, listen, there's things that came out last month. Yeah. And listen, I don't even know of any new condo launches in Toronto in the last, I don't know, four months. Yeah. Like nothing's happened. Nothing and the and the stuff that's out there is selling fairly slowly, which makes sense since there's no one to buy them and nobody knows what's going on. But yeah, I mean sales to new listings ratio they're saying is at sixty percent, which is well below the seventy percent threshold for an overheated real estate market. But what is what is the freehold sales to listing ratio? That, that's the that's the question, right? SNLR for condos was low at 42%. I don't okay. think it's not bad. That's not an intense buyer's market by any means. It's, I mean, it's no, it's not 
a strong market, but that's great. That's that's a, that's good news. So that's all over the GTA, of course, but still. Positivity. Go ahead. What was the other one? Um, what's the other one? Oh, so they did? Did they divide? No, they didn't. I don't. They they broke out the condos, but I don't see anything here uh, where it takes just freehold. But maybe I am missing that. Talking about incomes declining and populations growing of individuals between 25 and 34, which I guess is the new or first-time buyer segment. Okay. But anyways, cool. I mean, again, <clears throat> is there froth here? Is it overheated? Is it crazy? I mean, prices are going up in the middle of a pandemic. That's interesting, but not interesting because we've talked so about it before, right? Who should we rely on? So can I se can I segue right now or no? There are no rules here. Okay, thank you, Joe. Who should we rely on in order to determine the housing market outlook? Me. Because I'll tell you, I'll be up. I'll be. I'll be okay. But I'll be upfront with you. The Toronto Real Estate Board and all the real estate agents. Was I right? Was that the right, right answer? Is it me? Yes. Okay. You yeah. are a part of the group, actually. Oh, good. Okay. Cool. Toronto Real Estate Board and real estate agents have invested interest in making sure that there's more sales so that we can make more money and that everybody continues to buy and sell. Oh, the market's always going up. The market's going down. Good time to buy. Good time to sell. That's what real estate, that's what the business is. Don't hate the player, hate the game. Now, the other people are the uh, financial, financial institutions, right? Who underwrite risk, who look at putting uh, aside, um, you know, certain... Um, contingency funds who can uh you know regulate policy in order to to help them make more money at the end of the day and if everybody and and take less risk and if everybody is on board with the market going up then the lenders are going to be more competitive with each other and then rates are going to go down they're making less um uh interest and they're taking more risk so for them it's always about you know trying to keep people in in check okay that's that's the other side of things Define right Define in check. Um, not overspending. Um, follow going to the bank directly, not going to private lenders. Like you know, they're they're trying to keep those customers working with the financial institutions so that they can make money and that they can generate their income for their shareholders and have their profits every quarter because that's their business, right? Absolutely. So that's why it's always Remax says markets going up, CMHE markets going down. It's literally the storyline in my entire real estate career, and it just never changes. It's always the same. There's always little caveats to you know this may happen or that may happen, but they're always bullish, bearish. That's the way it works. Okay, who would know, or whose behavior would best um, determine? what the market is going to do who's who's got the most to gain or the most to lose because it's not the consumer definitely not the consumer the consumers it's all human behavior i need to buy i need to sell it's small risk i know it's a big money that people are putting out there but at the end of the day you know it's one transaction the developers oh the builders oh i was not right? going there but that makes sense the builders and developers, if they're not buying or moving, something's something's wrong. Like we got issues because they're not spending money. They have decades of experience. They have staff the size of a football team. They have money for days and they have all these different connections with different financial institutions and 
political stuff and things way beyond my understanding. I, I so they know a lot. I, I think that that's completely 100% true. I think that it's not an indication that something is wrong, though. I think what we're seeing now is an indication that the developers, we, we don't know what is going on. So we are going to wait patiently to see because in my experience, developers who know something is wrong with the market are buying some great deals and they are eating up. That's, that's my message. I think you, you misheard what I was trying to say is the, that is the, probably true. Developers are buying right now. No, they're not going to overspend. They're not buying. They're not buying. No, they're buying some deals. But if you read the article we were talking about last night, you'll see that 90% of the transactions have disappeared since last year. Now the volume. No, it's they're at 90%. No, they've only lost 10%. Well, let's, let's make sure we know what we're talking about first before we go any further. Let's, that's what I read. If that rent and condo prices have dropped, why haven't real estate land costs? And so basically okay. what it's talking about, yeah, what it's saying here is that, um, uh, they base it off are, of pre-construction condo prices, not, uh, rent prices. Yeah. They're anxious that the market or they're, or they're foreseeing that the market is going to continue to grow once this temporary sort of crisis is here. And that five to 10 years from now is what, they're basing their decisions off of anyway. Yeah. So Ben Myers, who I know personally says his understanding is that developers have been asking for discounts on land, but many of the vendors obviously are reluctant to do so as they are thinking long-term as well, which I can attest to because I'm selling a property for trying to sell a property for market rate from a year ago. And it's not going so well because people are trying to steal it from me and I'm not letting them and I'm holding on you know, I agree. tight deals take a long time. You haven't, you haven't been working on it that long. So I think yeah, that's all going to work out for you, but this is what your other buddy Shamus says, roughly $3 billion of residential land sales will take place this year. We've seen a decrease in land sale to 2 billion range. Yeah. So instead of three, from three yeah. the number of transactions is almost 90% of last year's numbers with oh. a few more December when yes. deals will close. So we're talking about 10%. Yeah. A very or, or, or um, similar um, land sale uh, history of t in 2020, a year where we know that there's way less stuff happening, that there's months of things being closed. Yeah. This number should be 20, 30, 40% lower unless the developers know something. I, I mean, I, I, I definitely read this wrong from, from my pulse and from what I see, like I don't see anywhere close to the volume of transactions. And most of the transactions that I did see were like smaller retails, like little slivers of potential assemblies and stuff. I mean, lots of big deals as well. But anyways, I mean, if, if, uh, if, if, if Jeremiah says it, it's right for sure. He, he's definitely out there. No, a hundred percent. The guy's like, uh, he definitely knows what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's what I mean is I'm not saying that's my area of expertise, but if I'm looking at, you know, the pulse of the market, I'm seeing a ton of people, buyers right now asking me about condos. They're all wanting to buy condos assignments. Give me a deal da, da, da. but everyone sees the value in condos. They're just, they're all waiting for the bottom yeah. and it's, it's, it's crazy. The bottom's here and they can't see it. And that's normal. I've seen this before. Yeah. All the buyers who want freehold, it's like, they can't get enough. They're willing to pay way more than it sold for in August. 
Like it's crazy the, the sure. increase in prices. We don't even know what that number is yet because it takes a long time to materialize and average out and everything else too. But the developer fine. Yeah, land sales is is tricky, especially right now because you have like prices holding in the condo market, <clears throat> right? Or or slightly increasing. I think in the new in the new condo space they've basically kind of held and maybe even decreased without people realizing it because of all the incentives that are being offered right now. Like free parking makes a, a difference. A $80,000 free parking spot downtown makes a significant difference in the purchase price, but it doesn't really get reflected anywhere, right? Yeah. Because they- Built in. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That 80000 is built in. Well, sure, because they're selling it for, you know, way more than they ever imagined when they bought the property five years ago, right? Or four years ago, whenever they did. But it's, it's really, it's really crazy right now because, yeah, I mean, every developer is looking for a great deal. It's even the same, like, right now we realized that, you know what, we have two cars that are sitting in the garage, like literally I put on, I don't even think I put a thousand kilometers on my car this year. And so I, I listed my car for sale and it's the same as the land I'm trying to sell. People are just trying to steal it. People are just trying to steal it. They don't even want it. But like, you know, I'm asking for 15,000 for my car and they're, everybody's willing to pay me 11, which is yeah. funny because I'm asking for 15 million for the property and people are offering me 11. Well, uh, you know, uh, sometimes that's just the way it goes. Maybe I, I should ask for 18 on both. Uh, my, my cousin said that prices of cars have actually gone through the roof, that people are overpaying on some of the cars, but he could be talking classic cars and stuff like that too. I'm not really sure. I told him about real estate and it was crazy. And he said, yeah, cars too. So maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. Not a car guy. Anyway. But, um, okay. Well, there you go. I mean, I, I wanted to kind of transition into that because I think that that is your area. And I think that that's really important for me when I'm going out there trying to tell people how to navigate this crazy market is that the big players with the deep pockets, they see something right now that is still worthy of investing in. Into yeah, but I don't think land deals are going through at last year's prices anymore. The ones that are actually going through, unless they're just so great, like there, there's no increase in land prices and sometimes they're not even willing to pay, pay what was, what the prices were last year. That, that's what I've seen. And that, I mean, listen, if you're, I mean, that would make sense for a, a billion dollar drop off in volume and 90% volume in transactions. Right. Yeah. But also the big downtown Toronto stuff isn't, isn't uh, coming up for sale right now too. Also, there was a huge, there was huge transactions last year. So, so, but, Hundred plus million transactions last year that haven't happened this year. Right. Well, there were some crazy ones last year, but that's because the market was super hot. That's when the crazy transactions happen, right? But but yeah. that article also spoke about a property of Bayview and Shepherd that had fourteen offers, which yes. is which is interesting. So, I sold a property just down the street from there, uh, almost two years ago now. Okay. And we put the deal together. It was about $85 a buildable. And back then, two years ago, the forecast that I had was that if it was zoned, it would be worth about 175, 160 a buildable foot. So bought for 85, figured we'd almost double 
or the, the buyer would almost double it uh, by the time it was zoned. And what we just saw was, um, I guess it was last week or the week before, property sold for 165 bucks a buildable for a zone site right down the street. Which, yeah. I mean, I would have thought that there would be an increase, right? And there wasn't an increase. And it's the same on the actual unzoned side. I just, I don't see increases in land value from a, a year where housing prices and other, like average prices gone up across the board, except land just kind of seems to be stagnant. Unless you're like triple A. Mm -hmm. What's Baby and Shepherd? A, double A? I think at least double A. Yeah, I mean, it's as good as you can get without being in the core of Toronto. Yeah. Toronto. Um, your site that you had sold, how many uh, square feet? What was the total? It was a much smaller site. It was, I think what they ended up, or what they're going to get is about 115000 This one that we're talking about is two eighty-five. Yeah. So that's, that also presents itself a, a different challenges too. I'm sure the developers who can bid on a hundred thousand are different than the ones who are bidding on 300,000. Well, and that's the thing. And that's what the article talks about is there's a lot of transactions in the under 10 million, right? And soon as you go past that threshold, it becomes harder for people to put together. And, and the reality is that it's not the a developers that are buying stuff for under 10 million. I mean, they're, they might be buying some, but I mean, these guys are playing in the 50, 100, 200, like crazy numbers now, right? The, all, all your guys like Menkes and Green Park and Matt, like all these monsters, uh, Tridels, like these guys have been around for a long time and they're able to handle gigantic deals. I mean, the small deals, I don't even think appeal to them anymore. No, that doesn't I, make sense. There, Unless there's like a future development down the road that they're going to tie into or something. You know, right, like something. why bother? Yeah. Why bother? So... Anyways, I mean, that's what I'm seeing. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm with you. I, 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 but I, I think it's, it's a matter of like time again. It, it's just, if, if you own a property and you want to sell like ours, I mean, we're just going to have to wait a little bit longer until things heat up again. Well, let's talk about the um, RBC statement, which is Toronto condos are the only housing in Canada that became more affordable. That became that. more affordable. Yeah, and this is funny because, well, I mean, I don't know if that's positive or negative. It's it's positive for some people, but it came from a very negative source. So we'll take it uh, as an anomaly because it sounds positive. I mean, it's positive for the people, right? So, so yep. I mean, obviously, we come at this from two different angles and... Uh, I'm selfish, so I generally look at it from the developers or the investors' standpoint, and it's a good thing you're around because you you're the empathetic one who thinks about the end consumer. So I guess so, what's I'm a man of the people. You are a man of the people. You are a populist. I would so here's the, I would here's vote the, for you. Here's I like how they did this. So the housing affordability index. They give you the aggregate, which would be the average of the two, which right now at the end of um, Q2, Q3, we get to Q3, 2020. Um, so aggregate 49.1% of your income, right? So that means that 
um, you'd have to spend 49.1% of your income to carry the ownership costs, right? Which is very high. That's above the um, debt, um, uh, total debt service ratios that the banks want when they're lending money out, okay? So not, not good. In um, single detached homes, it's at 53.4%. So that's over half of your income has to go towards you keeping a roof over your head. That's based on the average income. That's based on averages of income and averages of pricing, right? At the uh, Q3 2020, because we don't have the Q4. It's kind of a stupid stack considering in the average income is all the people that can't afford to buy housing. But anyways, go on. This is the stat we use. In Canadian household. So bottom line is that's what it is. Home ownership, though. This is the main thing. So they, um, so I guess you're right. Maybe that's why that number is a little bit well, higher. Because a lot of them and yeah, they can never afford it should be an average of the people that own houses as incomes a great metric to look at because it means how many people are going to be able to afford home ownership overall not really i mean you come in from another country with billion dollars you're not in the same category right well those princes from saudi arabia can can buy wherever they want now condos are at 38.5 percent okay which there are products out there where somebody could uh, potentially get a mortgage so it's almost like the average canadian now could afford a condo so we talked about this last episode about gen z and why they may or may not buy a property right and i was actually reading something this morning that said that gen z is going to pass millennials as far as income goes by 2031 because these are the first generation of people who are um, raised on the internet and so that they've got all this technology and experience and are going to be making a lot more money than any other uh, generation before them and okay. able <clears throat> excuse me and able and willing to not live in the metropolitan area right these are this is a generation that's growing up on the internet understands the power of the internet um, is willing to you know start a YouTube channel or a Shopify store and live wherever, which means affordability will get even better, I think, because more people, right? Like if you're moving to Hamilton or you're moving to Burlington. Substantially, then yeah, we're going to have um, more affordability, better affordability. Well, even, even if incomes stay the same, but people's... Uh, willingness to move further to less expensive areas increases that it should look more affordable right oh no then that would imply that prices have come down so we know prices are going to keep on carrying forward because that's our uh mo in our podcast daryl okay i'm kicking you under the table right now so that means in order for houses to be getting more no but hold on a sec so but there's a Come, that's going to go up. No, but then, but then there's going to be a flood of the people that come into the to the country again that can afford all of this stuff again, right? So, all the locals are kind of fanning out and and doing what they can do because of this, and then all of a sudden there's going to be a wave of people that can afford to buy whatever the hell and rent whatever the hell. Great, and those people are welcome here. I think we need to make our own metric. What is it? What should we do? I don't know, but we'll call it the TK meter. The TK meter. What is that meter? That. What is it? What is the measure? I'm going to figure that out for the next episode. How great it is to buy real estate in Toronto? No, but there should actually be real metrics that actually take 
more realistic approaches. I mean, listen, if you throw into the average all the people that can't afford or are not planning on ever buying something, right? Like we we talk about how a segment of the population is affected by this. Um, so so the people that can't afford to buy, they're not really they're affected by the rental market. They're not affected by, by the sale market. Like they're not even part of it, right? But their incomes are being counted, right? So if you make $50,000 a year and you would never be able to buy a house, you're, at, you're, you're bringing down the average income, right? Which is making it seem less affordable. But you're not in the housing market. Why are you in the stats? But the point of that stat is to see how many people are in the housing market. That's why they have this stat. That shows how many people are in the housing market? How many people, it's an affordability. So how many people can afford to be in home ownership? So, so. Right? And when that number is too high and people start saying to themselves, you know. So, but is it that houses are too expensive or wages are too low? Like there's so many factors. Oh. Right. Oh, so, so, yeah. so why are we including all the people whose wages are too low and, and knocking it against affordability of houses, which have nothing to do with them? Anyways, we're, we could well, talk about this forever. I know, but let me just, let, let me have the last word. Oh, so house prices. Now you sound like my dad. Should I go to my room? Houses can continue. The house prices can continue to go up, you know, in perpetuity. As, as high as they possibly want, as long as incomes continue to keep pace. But they're not. I know. And that's the part that we have to balance. And so the article that I read this morning is that Gen Z is going to be, by 2031, the highest earners out of all the generations that we've ever seen. Wow. That, I believe in that. That's YouTube some high earners. Money at their, in their, their 20s, people finding all sorts of oh, yeah. residual. Um, people, people having, you know, three, four different jobs because they, uh, you know, they're not happy to be working at one place all the time. All kinds of stuff, all Asking kinds of crazy stuff. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. That's interesting. That's some serious earning power. Yeah. And you know what, so, you know what people like to buy when they have a lot of money? Real estate. Ah. Cars. Ah. <laughs> Just not, not for me. No, but really. No, but this generation, I mean, if you look at guys, you know, Mr. Beast, you ever hear of Mr. Beast? Yeah, I've been actually watching some of his videos lately because I got a new phone and it pop, it gives you like a fresh clean slate on your homepage. This guy is like unbelievable. All my, all my Un videos are unbelievable. Gone. And listen, I mean, it doesn't take that many, uh, that big an audience to actually make a decent living doing this, right? It doesn't take... If you have patience to, to start a Shopify store uh, and you give it a few years, like it doesn't take that much of an effort to actually make a, a decent living. And then if you add to the fact that like, you know, I'm willing to go move to some tropical island where I can live, you know, for $10 a day or whatever, $100 a day, whatever the number is, um, yep. you can live a really amazing free like life, you know, that I would definitely want to live. Great life. I'm so, going. I'm out of here. See ya. You connect, connect with your family through through Zoom and video calls. Like you feel like you know you're. I'm not leaving you behind, mom and dad. You know I'll be talking to you every week on Zoom. Yeah, strap on a VR headset, AR headset, yeah. and you're in the same room as them. Living room. I'm on the couch. 
with my pops. That's right. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I, I've been watching a lot of stuff recently uh, about, you know, how we, we are, we, we tend to imagine what's coming down the pipe similarly to what has already been in the pipe, right? And so, so we expect, you know, this to be the similar to what we used to have before the pandemic, right? Okay. We envision something maybe a little bit different, but like not drastically different. But what, what, what I'm seeing in, in my research is that even if you look like one decade to the next, they're not even close to the same. I mean, if you compare the 20s to the 30s and the 30s to the 40s and the 40s to the 50s, on and on and on, like every decade is so different and so crazy, right? Yeah. Like so, so, like all, I, I, I was listening to this guy, Ray Dalio. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's brilliant, by the way. And he says it's almost the opposite of, of what it is or what it was. So, so I mean, oh, okay. the idea is to be open-minded and to, to, to kind of, I mean, you have no clue what's going to be after this, right? The, the 2010s, the teens, how are they going to be characterized, like classified? Like what, what, what are we going to say? Like, I don't know, but like right now we, we have something really similar to like the crash in the twenties, right? We had the roaring, 20s so we just had like the roaring tens or whatever that that decade is going to be called it was rip roaring we had a couple of little dips and and but like for the most part just ripping away right and so you now for the 20s well i think there's going to be a total crazy reshuffling of everything and it's going to be intense and people are going to make fortunes and people are going to make get killed and it, i mean that's pretty typical but what it looks like is going to be so vastly different from what it looked like before that most people will not be able to keep up, right? Most people will be completely caught off guard. But what we're going to see is, you know, autonomous vehicles are going to happen this decade. There is zero doubt, if not in the next two, three years. There's already uh, a bunch of autonomous construction vehicles out there on construction sites, right? There. there there's going to be drones everywhere. I've talked about robots in the past, but all this technology like VR and AR, all this stuff is going to be regular parts of our lives. And I mean, a lot of people are still learning to use their smartphones, right? So people are going to get blindsided, but we're, we are on the cusp of, you know, something that none of us could even comprehend. Right. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, imagine when all of a sudden there was electricity. Right. Like, imagine how different things were when all of a sudden you could have electricity in your house. Nobody could ever have pictured that. And look at what's ensued since then. Steam engines, regular internal combustion engines, like all these crazy things. And so now we have like satellites going up into the sky right for internet access all over the planet all mm. over the planet so all of a sudden our audiences grow by billions billions right uh -huh. all of a sudden our, our markets grow by billions and, and what we're seeing is stuff like you know you can buy a fraction of a stock from anywhere in the world on a phone right in any currency this is not normal, 
in an instant. Yeah. Right? Boom. Right? So now you're going to be in your autonomous vehicle, driving in a tunnel, trading, trading stocks, stocks, and playing video games in VR. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, do a podcast. Do maybe filming your podcast, right? Or, or, yeah. or like Truman Show, where everybody's just following everybody around in real time all the time. And like, yeah. we, we can't even imagine what we're about to go through. It, it's mind blowing stuff. We can't even fathom it. I mean, if you told me a year ago that everybody that you knew would know how to get on Zoom, including my mother, right? Mm -hmm. I, would, I would have told you you're absolutely insane. Absolutely yeah. insane. If, if you would have told me Four years ago, well, maybe I heard about it four years ago, but if I was a normal person and you had told me even a year ago that, you know, in two years, I was going to be able to order something on Amazon and in two hours, a drone was going to drop it on my front porch. Like that's insane. Right. Can that, can that happen now? In some places in the world that can happen now. Uh, no, I think in Ireland is where they originally tested this thing. It's called prime air. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. And, and, and so, I mean, imagine what happens to the trucking industry because you got Tesla coming up with autonomous trucks. I mean, that's going to revolutionize everything, right? And now all of a sudden you're going to have all these people who don't even know what to do with their time because their jobs are gone. Or you have a whole bunch of people who have to learn new skills at the same time. Just like, I mean, I, anyways, it's, it's a revolutionary time to be alive. It's going to be very interesting. I'm, a, a, and what's happening also while all this is going on is that like currencies are crumbling and governments are losing trust from, from, from the people and all of these things, right? Like we're in the information age and people are sucking it up. I mean, we have nothing better to do right now than watch a billion YouTube videos in a day, right? That's crazy. It's going to be fucking fun. If, if you can stay on top of it and you can grab a little slice of this new pie, it's going to be an interesting time. I don't know what it means for real estate, though, quite honestly. Uh, I think it's just onwards and upwards. I mean, at the end of the day, people still need a place to live. All these cool things that you're talking about are always going to be located in major cities first. There's going to be a huge return back to retail. There's going to be a huge return back to office space. Like maybe not what it was before, or you know, there'll be some sort of compromise, or there'll be there'll be a, a different facet of it that is not the same. But it's going to come back, and it's going to be ripping, and people are going to be happy to be there, and we're all going to just have a, a small uh, incremental change towards that utopian that you've described. It's 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 coming. I don't know I if hope it's to see it in my lifetime. I don't know if it's utopian or dystopian, but it's. Well, I think it's pretty cool. I think that I think the people who are young today are the ones who are going to spearhead it. They need to get into pol political power. They need to have their their say. And right now, obviously, they don't. And as long as there's a bunch of baby boomers in charge, things aren't going to change very quickly. No, but you know what's interesting? Even my generation, even even us, we, we're we're at the beginning of it, right? You got to get the people who are teenagers right now to to make major changes. Yeah, and you know what? Like I just see from like take my take my son for example and schooling, online schooling. I know we're getting a little short on time here, but my son was really struggling in real school. Okay? Mm -hmm. Like we were getting called in, they were saying he had ADD, ADHD and blah 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 blah. We may have even talked about this before. But now he's getting straight A's in virtual online school. And I <laughs> 
No, but the difference is, is that virtual online school is more like real life, right? It's more real. It's not like you can't look at the guy beside you during a test and you can't ask your dad for help if you don't understand something. And you, you, you don't have to pay attention the whole time if you have attention deficit disorder. Like, I don't know how I ever made it through school. I don't know how I paid attention for long enough, but like that is, that is a major shift. If, if, if kids are able to kind of grow in a different way and grow more towards things that they have interest in rather than what we're shoving down their throats, like imagine what changes are going to happen on this planet, right? If you could focus yeah. on what you actually do love from a very young age. Yeah. Way oh my god like the creativity progress, sure. and the progress is gonna get insane yeah plus plus the one benefit to our generation is that we're not gonna be the highest earners and we're not gonna be the smartest but what we were able to do not all of us but a lot of us is we were able to wake up a little bit and really recognize that things aren't quite how we were taught they were and we've been almost given a, a voice as to start affecting this kind of a change right which is so necessary right now but anyways For sure. whew, that was in well that was good well if you are still listening if anybody's listening thank you very strange that you're still listening at this point in time it's been an hour all right but maybe you just got us playing in the background 22 percent of you are you still close listening. that video just click subscribe click like send us a comment that hundredth subscriber Boom. is going to be sent a amazon e-gift card for $100. One. Buy anything you want. And you may be able to get it delivered by a drone. Ooh. Maybe, if you live in Ireland. <laughs> if you live in Ireland. Mr. TK, it has Thank been you, a pleasure of a year. You have helped keep me sane through this. I appreciate Likewise. you. Likewise. Happy Christmas. Merry New Year. All that good stuff. Happy Hanukkah. And, and any other festivities that you choose to take part in. I look forward to growing this channel with you over the coming years, my friend. 10x. 10x. 10x per year. Per year. Boom. That's a good goal. I like it. All right. So, yeah, 1,000 subscribers by the end of 2021. We can do that. We are going to do that. This is the fastest, fastest slowest growing podcast in toronto yep thank you this for the listening one podcast out of my house absolutely New on Curiosity Stream, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Kim Kardashian. Tycoons are in many ways the lifeblood of society. They are willing to put everything out there. They're willing to lose everything. See how the super elite use their money and power to shape our lives on Tycoons. Plus, from Japan's unbreakable super code to the algorithm mining your Bitcoin, we're breaking down the world's most famous encryptions on cracking the code. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.